Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 54 Athanasius the Vampiric Bricklayer. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests the Dungeons & Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Harper Hayes' table in the Levitating Platter. Welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests, the best Dungeons and Dragons podcast in my humbly biased opinion. And I'm joined by a lovely guest that I have had the recent pleasure to make acquaintance. So why don't I ask uh, my guest to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, what it is that you do. Uh, sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Harper. I am one half of the hosting duo that makes the Chaotic Creations podcast, and I am an enthusiastic Dungeons & Dragons and tabletop role-playing game player and have been for about, oh gosh, a decade now. <laughs> but certainly you and Darby have your own flair, so uh, maybe you can tell what it is that exactly happens on your podcast to making up characters. Sure. So Darby and I uh, take turns giving each other a weird prompt for a Dungeons & Dragons character. We try to pick characters that uh, race and class combos that aren't normally seen or a character that you wouldn't normally consider to be playable. For instance, we might have a wizard with intelligence as a dump stat. And we try to take these very weird prompts and make fully developed player characters that have a really rich backstory because Darby and I both love a good backstory. Indeed. Uh, it's all about backstory and not just make the characters a blank slate and nameless. Mm -hmm. We love to have not just these weird and wacky combinations, but also to make up a backstory where the combinations make sense, where you can tell who that character is and where they came from. And so I think you've uh, already alluded to it, but the next question here is, do you currently or have you ever played Dungeons & Dragons before? Uh, yes, I have played Dungeons & Dragons before. I started playing Dungeons & Dragons in the spring of 2011, so about, as a time of recording, nine and a half years ago, almost ten years ago, and I started off as a player in a high school club. And my first character was a rogue, as I think so many evils are. And I, you know, got bit by the bug. I bought all of the books that I could get my hands on. And I started in fourth edition. And the next year, I learned how to play Pathfinder first edition. And I actually 
uh, started DMing for the first time after a year of playing. And then I DMed and played for several groups throughout the years. And until about college, where I couldn't find anyone to play with for a few years until some of my good friends, including Darby, uh, all decided to get together to start a group. And we have been playing together in various campaigns for almost two years now. Uh, I have been lucky enough to be the player. One of my other friends has shouldered the mantle of Dungeon Master, so I don't have to be doing that right now, but I still uh, Dungeon Master for a couple of one-shots here and there. I likewise started in 4th edition, so who is your favorite NPC? Uh, whether it's from an RPG, a video game, maybe literature, history, film, television, etc., and why are they your favorite? Yes, my favorite NPC. I mean, I... Uh, only recently, in the, in the past couple of years, got into playing video games because we just never really had any video game consoles around my house growing up other than a Game Boy. So one of the first games that I got when I got my hands on a Nintendo Switch was I started playing Fire Emblem Three Houses. And I played through the Golden Deer route the first time that I played and I fell in love with Claude. I love how snarky and clever he is. I like the strategic angle that playing with his house brings. I also love how rich and detailed uh, Claude's backstory is and how by pursuing that route, you get to see that. I mean, I've alluded to it. I love a good and detailed backstory. It's what I live for when I play games. And I think that it led to a really interesting ending to that storyline. Interesting. I've, uh, I've never played any of those games. Without spoiling anything. Of course, without spoiling anything. I myself have not played uh, the Fire Emblem games, but I hear they're very popular. And for the flip-flop now, <laughs> what is your favorite side quest from an RPG, video game, film, television, literature, etc., and why is it your favorite side quest? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for that, we're going to have to go to my favorite video game, which is Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And I mean, players of that game will know that the game itself is about 99% side quest. Almost none of the things that are in the game do you actually have to do. Uh, so you get a lot of freedom to explore. But if I had to pick one side quest that is my favorite from that game, it would absolutely be the uh, Vonaboris side quest, where you get to go into the Gerudo Desert. I mean, I love strong women, and that's what the Gerudo tribe is. Uh, I love how much that particular side quest fleshes out the history of the region that you're in, and you get to know more about kind of the secondary antagonists of the game, the Yiga clan. Uh, I think that the reward that you get from completing that side quest is the best reward that you get in the game uh, without, you know, going into the DLC and everything. I love games where you have to sneak and hide your way through instead of just being a hack and slash, and that's what um, the Yiga clan hideout is in that, so I thought that it was made for a really interesting change up in gameplay. So I just really love that whole kind of story, miniature story arc that you can go on there. Hello everyone, I just want to take a moment to tell you about my first ever sponsor, Plus One EXP. Tony Vicinda is the mastermind behind this trifecta of triumph. He produces tabletop-themed beard balms, beard-themed tabletop RPGs, and helps to support additional tabletop content creators on Patreon. Now, each of his beard balms is flavored after the basic stats from D&D. Do you need some strength for your beard? Why, apply and feel yourself empowered with the scent of pine and cedar with a minty edge. 
if you're feeling rather charismatic, apply a balm of sweet-smelling amber, clove, and pipe tobacco. Each one of these balms is unique in its makeup. And of course, don't forget, Tony developed a whole RPG that allows you to harness your facial ferocity and hair-raising adventures. You can snag a copy of that game as well as a style stencil, enamel pin, or a map of the Whiskerverse. And finally, aside from all of the awesome interviews and actual plays Tony has on Plus One EXP, every purchase you make feeds into the Plus One Forward program, which supports small indie content creators to continue making amazing tabletop RPG content. So head on over to PlusOneExp.com. That's Plus One spelled out and EXP.com in order to shop for these balms and games and more. And when you go to check out, use my affiliate code Randolph to save some coin on your purchase and to help support sidekicks and sidequests. How else do you think our tavern keeper at the Levitating Platter is going to keep his silver beard so awesome? Once again, the code is Randolph, like how it's spelled on episode 2 and his write-up, in order to save on your order and help support the show. So thank you so much, and now, back to the podcast. What are you passionate about and why? Well, I mean, you might have been able to tell by how much I was talking about it earlier, but I really, really love Dungeons & Dragons and tabletop role-playing games. I have a few reasons why I love Dungeons & Dragons so much. Uh, The first is that I've been blessed to have some really amazing people around my table. Um, It's a very supportive group of friends. And it's just a very accepting environment. We're able to come and be whoever it is that we want to be and work together without, you know, fear of being judged because everyone there is just so supportive and so invested in the game. Uh, I also am really very passionate about collaborative creativity. I uh, find that I am most creative when I am working in pairing with someone else. It's one of the reasons that Darby and I started the podcast is because we found that when we worked together to create a character's backstory, it became more fleshed out and it was more fun to play as that character. And so we thought, let's just make a podcast about this. We do this all the time just for fun anyway. And, you know, Dungeons & Dragons, by its nature, is a collaborative storytelling game. It leads to the most interesting stories that I've ever had the privilege of making. You know, I um, have always been a writer. It's one of the things that I love to do. Uh, But none of the stories that I've written on my own have come anywhere as close to being as engaging and interesting as the stories that I've uh, created around the table with other people. I also am a big communicator, uh, and I believe that, you know, communication is how we're going to make the world a better place, and maybe I'm just young and dumb enough to believe that we still can make the world a better place, and I find that playing D&D and having that little microcosm around the table and having a small group of very dedicated people make this miniature reality a better place gives me hope that you know more people communicating in real life can make our reality collectively a better place that's a lot of reasons basically i really love dungeons and dragons basically you're just a very wholesome person and just listening to your answer made me smile oh thank you so much i'm glad that you and darby were able to start your podcast and you get to share that ability to collaborate to create to brainstorm to write uh Uh, And just have fun with your friends, which is, you know, what the whole point of this game is all about. I think we've learned quite a bit about Harper, and it's only fitting now some NPC creation. 
right. So now this is the part of the show where we get to bring something new into the world. A new NPC. Uh, I believe Harper has elected to roll the dice and see what kind of random character we get today. Is that correct? Uh, yes, very on brand for how we do things on Chaotic Creations. Uh, we'll, you know, see what it is that the world gives us and then we'll make it work. Perfect. Do you happen to have some real dice? Uh, I happen to have my dice that I play with for my home game right here next to me. I don't know how great the sound effect is going to be because I uh, have a dice mat to roll in that's uh, felt bottom, so it's not going to be, you know, that nice click-clack sound, but I do have my real dice here. Uh, So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, um, what is going to be the name of this character? Your d20 and roll that. Let's figure out what the name of our character is going to be. Okay, let's roll a d20. Eight. Eight. Ah, perfect. And the name of our character is Athanasius. Athanasius. Okay. Uh, so for all of you theology nerds out there, Athanasius, I believe, is one of the old church fathers uh, in early Christendom. Let's see. So the next question to ask, history of our character, this will be a d100 roll. All right. 82. Interesting. Okay, so Athanasius is a vampire. Oh, okay. Now we need to figure out what is the job or role in society for this vampire character. Let's go ahead and roll a d10 as well. Okay. One. Okay. Uh, This was suggested by previous guest Tony Vicinda. Bricklayer. So Athanasius the vampire is a bricklayer. You know, I had an idea for who this NPC was, and now it's taken a hard left turn. (laughs) And now let's figure out the age. Why don't you go ahead and roll a D8? All right. Four. Adult. So newly made or not, I'm not quite sure, but they're an adult as far as vampires are concerned. Okay. Vampire adult could mean anything, basically. Like, do you want it to be, you know, a 25-year-old or a 500-year-old? You really can't tell. Well, yeah, that's true. Although, I would say, not a midlife vampire, but they've been around for a while. And now that we're beginning this discussion, this is leading in to perfectly the next question is, let's come up with a physical description. Uh, When I think of... A person named Athanasius who ends up a bricklayer, so much more working class. I see someone who grew up, you know, not very well off, but who had very pious parents. And so automatically my brain jumps to a human. So human appearance, I'd say just the name suggests a male to me. I would say probably about five foot eight, uh, fairly pale, I imagine, Uh, A scar on the neck that he keeps hidden, but probably another couple of scars on his body as well. Uh, And fairly well-muscled arms from hauling bricks and laying them as a profession. Right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong as far as D&D is concerned, but vampires could still go out in daylight. They're just weakened as far as daylight's concerned, right? I believe that is correct, but I'm going to go ahead and Google that very quickly in case I am incorrect. Okay. Building on what you were saying, parents are very pious, working class, uh, and so he got this job as a bricklayer. Sounds like he wasn't born into some kind of vampiric nobility, uh, but was 
transformed into a vampire, but sounds like he's still trying to keep his normal working life. I wonder if that means he's laying brick during the day. Does he do it at night when he's also trying to control himself as far as his undead cravings are concerned? Mm-hmm. So I've looked it up and it does say that uh, vampires in D&D 5e do take damage from sunlight. Oh. So I imagined he has the uh, graveyard shift, if you'll pardon the expression for the vampire. There we go. Okay. And you know, that makes sense. I think that bricklayer, you'd probably, especially if he's laying bricks for a road, you want that to happen at night when there aren't as many travelers, not as much foot traffic. So I assume that he is probably born into a very pious family and was transformed at some point and is trying to hide that fact, trying to cling to what was his previous life. Ooh, okay. So he's a tortured soul. Yes, I think so. Okay. Any other distinguishing physical appearance characteristics you'd like to throw in there? Or are we ready to try and describe Athanasius with three adjectives? I think that just in terms of if you were to do the kind of up and down, I'd say that he's probably about, I think I said five foot eight. I'd like to think that he's got very pale skin. And I usually think of a vampire as looking very much like, you know, pale skin, dark hair. I like to think that this vampire is just sandy hair, very average looking, except for the fact that he is so pale, which most people attribute to, oh yeah, he works nights. He doesn't get out much during the day. Uh, so he looks like a very average, if very pale human. And there's nothing that would really at first glance tell you there's something odd about him and so what three adjectives do you think best describe athanasius hmm. i think determined would be the first one i think he is very uh committed to holding on to the threads of his previous life with you know an iron fist he refuses to let go of that he doesn't want to change who he is just because he's changed who he is i think simple i think that he's like you said, he's not from vampire nobility. He's never lived that more glamorous life. He kind of came from nothing and he doesn't need a whole lot. He's like, you know what? I've got a job. I've got uh, people that I care about in my life and I don't need anything but that. I am fine as I am. Uh, so we've got determined. We've got simple. And let's go with meticulous. I like to think that for his job and also um, in hiding his identity as a vampire, he is very careful. He's very precise. He doesn't leave things to chance. All right. And I'm wondering, since I know you like to create backstories, so before we go back to rolling more dice, you know, which certainly could help us inform the character, but based on what's been presented right now, you think you can kind of craft a backstory for Athanasius? Like, what was his life before? What caused the incident? You know, so then when the player characters stumble upon him, like, this is what his life is now. Like, obviously, he's working late at night. He's being meticulous. Does that mean he's trying to avoid people altogether so he's not giving in to his cravings? What do you think? I think that... You know, prior to this, he was just a very average guy living a very average life, put in his hours at work, went home. I like to think adult, he's probably still somewhat young, so he's probably in his late 20s or early 30s. Probably hasn't been a vampire for more than a couple of years. Uh, so he was probably like, you know, eventually I will get married, I will have children, I will, you know, do all the things that a normal person does in their life in his small town. And then... One night, he volunteers for the graveyard shift, 
uh, back when he's still a human, and a vampire who's passing through town during the night sees this solitary human completely by himself and decides, you know what, that would make a good meal, but doesn't kill him. Instead, turns him into a vampire, uh, probably by accident. And Athanasius spent a few days uh, hiding away, which was fairly easy to do now that he was on this new shift. Uh, didn't want anyone to see him. And then decided, you know what, I'm not going to let this change who I am. And he continued to work the graveyard shift. He's probably taken up a new hobby of, you know, hunting and air quotes, where um, about once a week... He will go out into... I'm very much imagining, oddly enough, the vampires from Twilight, who I haven't <laughs> thought of in years, where he attempts to be as ethical as he can. So he, when he's out hunting, occasionally it will be humans or other humanoid races that he feeds on. Occasionally it will be animals. He feeds enough during that one night of the week that he can uh, sustain himself over the course of the week. So lots of bandits and uh, other creatures. And then the people are like, you know, things have been peaceful. We haven't had too many bandit problems. All the uh, the raiders or the uh, the creatures that go bump in the night that would, uh, you know, plague the farms. Like suddenly they're all disappearing and we don't have much need of uh, hiring rat catchers go out into the woods and deal with these kinds of problems. Yeah, exactly. I think that he probably does not really see himself as, you know, being a vigilante or a hero, though. He's just doing this as a way to survive and to not kill any of these people that he's known his whole life. So probably people have noticed that he's made the shift to being a night owl and he works nights now, but people are like, yeah, that's what it is. It's the job. Good old Athanasius hasn't changed since he was a kid. Right. My question to you, I guess, since we talked about his name from such a pious family and him having people that he cares about, are his parents still alive? And the other question I had is, does he consider himself still religious? Like, does he still worship the same God that his parents you know, and his family life uh, brought him up in? And that's why he's trying to cling to his humanity. He's fighting every dark urge that comes with uh, the nature of being a vampire. I think that probably, you know, his father is getting up there in years and they do live a really, you know, simple somewhat poor life so there's not a whole lot of support so i like to think that his father has passed away i think his mother is probably still alive i like to think that he also has a sibling i'm thinking a sister who has married and has children so he's an uncle and all of them still live in the town and maybe just because um the character that i play in my home game is a cleric of Pelor, i'm jumping to Pelor as the god that he grew up worshipping, but I also know that Pelor has a real hatred for the undead, canonically, in 5e. That's one of the things that Pelor hates. And so I think that he probably is filled with quite a lot of self-loathing for being a vampire because of all that he was taught when he was growing up about how evil the undead are. And so he probably harbors a bit of that still. And I think that his family and he, to an extent, probably are still religious, um, but that he feels a lot of guilt surrounding his religion now. He's probably stopped going to services under the excuse of, oh, I work nights, I can't be up early in the morning to go to temple. But So he probably still does feel that faith and is very conflicted about it now. Very interesting, because I know certainly in our culture, there have been lots of works of fiction about vampires who are still trying to cling to goodness and, and justice and truth and beauty. Angel, 
comes to mind from the uh, the mm. Buffy universe, you know, the ensouled vampire. Certainly, you mentioned earlier the Twilight series, the sparkly vampires that, you know, are trying to be good guys <laughs> uh, and yes. not the evil Bram Stroker Dracula types. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's something inherently just much more interesting about a vampire who wants to cling to humanity than there is in playing into the old trope. I think that a vampire who wants to be good and wants to not harm humans and still wants to be, you know, retain personhood instead of delving into monsterhood. I think that's just inherently a much more interesting story to tell, which is probably why we see so many stories about it. Right. Okay. I think this is great of what we're learning. So now you're ready to roll some more dice. Yes. A valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret, or an ideal or concept that the character ascribes to. So let's go ahead and roll a D4 to figure out what's the category of item. Okay. Uh, that would be a four. Four. Okay, so four is ideal or concept. Um, so let's go ahead and roll a d6 to figure out what's an ideal or concept that Athanasius ascribes to. All right. Six. So six is gambling, which is interesting. So how do you think gambling features into something of Athanasius's personality? Do you think when you talked about how he volunteered to take the night shift, do you think the fact he comes from a more humble kind of a family background, do you think the gambling side featured have to make more money i'll take a gamble on working the night shift to help make some more money you know he's always trying to hedge his bets and come out ahead i quite like the idea of before he became a vampire he would just you know have a weekly basically it's a poker night to the extent that poker is a thing in dungeons and dragons um with the other guys that he worked with in bricklaying uh and that it was a lost hand that made him volunteer for the night shift they were gambling who was going to take the night shift and he lost and so he had to take the night shift and i think that since he has become a vampire you know it's not just that he now thirsts for blood he also you know is becoming more and more monstrous and he's like this is the one vice that i have like this is the one thing in me that's going to become worse and worse i'd rather be gambling than murdering so uh since he has become a vampire he's become more and more of a gambler betting more and more of his money it's become kind of more of who he is now so maybe that's like the one change people have noticed in the past couple years about athanasius they're like yeah in the past couple of years he started gambling a whole lot more than he used to it started off with weekly poker nights and now you can find him at the tavern you know at 3 a.m most days is just gambling away the little bit of money that he makes hoping to be able to pay off his tab wow okay interesting so like you were saying trading in one vice for another he's really his motivation his justification is like well to make sure i stave off just ripping everyone to shreds in this tavern i'm just gonna go hard on betting and i wonder if that strains his familial relationships that he has especially with his mother say his sister his uh, nieces and nephews in the town i think it Probably does. I think that they are, you know, they're a very supportive family. And so they are trying to be there for him in this time, but they really can't understand what's driving him to do this. And he can't tell them he can't explain it to them. And so it's causing a rift in between him and his family. There's the tragedy. Um, 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 um. <laughs> All right. And so now we get to figure out what's going to be a particular side quest that Athanasius is going to offer to the player characters. 
a d12 roll but i will go ahead since we've already created such a fine backstory and lore on athanasius if you so feel inspired to generate your own side quest you know i have had an idea for a quest ever since we kind of came up with the idea that he is a much more human vampire i've had a side quest just sitting here in the back of my head so i'll tell you about it but then i'd also love to roll and see if i prefer that one okay that's fine we can do that too (laughs) okay so the side quest that i've kind of had sitting in the back of my head is that you know particularly if there is a cleric or a paladin or some other person with a holy background in the party who rolls into town um they're outsiders they're not people that Athanasius has known his whole life. And so he is searching for someone, anyone, how to reverse this curse that's been put upon him, how to undo the vampirism, help him revert back to a human life. Uh, He certainly has no idea if that's even possible, but he'd be willing to offer anything that he has in order to just get rid of this and go back to his regular life. Okay. Certainly it would be up to a dungeon master to figure out, is there even a cure for vampirism? Because I don't know if you still have the notes pulled up, but chances are most likely once you become a vampire, it's kind of it. Unless you think maybe there is a way to cure it. I mean, I would think that a high enough level greater restoration might cure it. It depends on if you consider vampirism to be a disease or a curse or something else entirely. I don't know if it's possible. It's also a form of undeath, so it's possible that the party would need to kill him and then revive him, and that would get rid of the vampirism. Oh, like a true resurrection, maybe? Yeah. Uh, And of course, he would have no concept. He's lived a very simple life. He hasn't really left his town, so he doesn't know what it would take in order to get rid of this, but he's willing to do anything in order to try. Okay. That's very cool and very appealing. All of a lot of resources and time and energy spent from the player characters if they were so invested with Athanasius's tragic story uh, to try and get him back to life, even if it means like, you know, using like a super high level greater restoration or like, you know, having to actually kill him and then, you know, plead with the gods to resurrect him in his true form so he could return to uh, a normal life. I think that could be very interesting, especially if you have a member of the party who does have that religious aspect to their character and giving them a chance to explore that more. I think that could be very interesting. Very cool. Well, did you want to roll you could get in comparison? I mean, this sounds pretty compelling, (laughs) but let's see what the table says. Yes, I think let's see what the table has to say. Uh, That is a four. It's another lovely suggestion from Tony Vicinda, but it was something as simple as cut a flower from the royal gardens. And I think what you with is much more alluring uh, than necessarily retrieving a flower unless he has a forlorn love with some royal member of the family or something like that. Although part of his gambling, you know, if he's going to go big or go home to someone he knows is way out of his league now that he seems to be enhanced with supernatural charisma. It's possible. I'd like to think that maybe he would offer 
that as the first quest for the characters. This is a kind of a recurring quest giver. So you would ask them, hey, and I think it might even be more simple than that, that he lost a bet and he now needs to go get this flower, but he can't journey there. He doesn't want to get caught being a vampire. He can't travel in the sun. It's more than a day away. He can't get there and back in one night. And when the characters return with a flower, maybe they happen upon him in the woods on the way back and he's hunting and they see him and they find out what he is. And he explains to them his story and he wants their help in getting rid of this vampirism. They already know him. They've met him. They've gotten a quest from him already. Mm, okay. So, okay. So we can still go with the flower fetch quest far as his ultimate wanting to uh, become human again, that could be like down the road or, you know, once you've bought in and then it's like, okay, well, here's the real thing that's trying to happen. Yes, I think so. All right. Well, two questions we need to consider then with this side quest of cutting a flower from the Royal Gardens. What is going to be the reward for succeeding? I think that he would probably offer what he can, which, you know, being a very simple bricklayer from a poor town, he can't offer more than, you know, a handful of silver, maybe. But he is this vampire who has this very unnaturally high charisma, and also he is a good person, and the party can sense this, and if they're so inclined to help him out, uh, then he'll happily give them that and, you know, put in a good word for them. He is well-beloved around town. Everyone knows who he is. And so he can help them mingle around town. He can introduce them to people. Although I just thought of this, going back to the idea that, you know, once a week, Athanasius is going into the woods and seeking out bandits and would-be attackers on the town, just thinking of, you know, oh, I can only offer you a few silver. But I'm thinking, well, if he's actually feeding off of all these bandits and cutthroats and rogues, he probably has amassed amount, some kind of wealth, unless part of his vice, his fatal flaw of gambling is he somehow comes into all this wealth, you know, he may manages to gamble away most of it. Uh, and that's why he's only left with copper or silver. I think he probably gambles away most of it. Although now that you've mentioned that, I think probably he does still have probably a few uh, caches of supplies out in the woods that he finds from these bandits. He has, you know, the things that aren't coin. He has weapons. He has armor. He has the hides of some of these beasts that he's killed that maybe he can offer up. And maybe one of the things that intrigues the players is how does this simple bricklayer have access to these, you know, a magical weapon or... You have a plus two dagger? How did you get a plus two dagger exactly yeah there you go okay that's really cool i like that idea of like oh i have some coins but i also have a cache of like weapons and you know armor and hides that i don't really have use for in my normal everyday life like where'd you get this stuff man yeah and then maybe part of the reward for helping him no longer be a vampire is he's like i want to go back to living my regular life i do not need the reminders of my time as a vampire you can have everything that i have buried out in the woods Oh, that's cool. Now we have to consider the other consequence. What's going to be the result of failure or refusing the call? I think that probably uh, there's not really a consequence for not taking the first quest. You know, this random bricklayer is like, hey, can you please go and get me a flower from the Royal Gardens? They're like, that's weird. I'm not going to do that. He'd be like, okay, fine, fair enough. But if they take the first quest and then come back and he opens up to them and explains what it is that's going on and they refuse him then, I think there's a decent chance that he might then, you know, go into a crisis where he's like, well, now I have told these people 
people who I am, these capable adventurers, and they're refusing to help me. And they might even turn on me and tell my kinsmen, my town folk, what it is that I am. And I can't take that chance. So uh, when next the opportunity presents itself, he attacks the party in an attempt to silence them. I also think that it might be an interesting idea of, you know, they refuse to help him and that might even be what causes his downward spiral into finally giving in to, like, it's his last hope gone. These adventurers cannot help him. He has no hope of returning to being a human and that sends him on this downward spiral into monsterhood. And he might even end up being a bigger villain further down the line. The big bad evil guy of the campaign was the bricklayer we didn't help. (laughs) Oh, that's a great reveal. Just like I started from humble origins. That's the origin story of uh, Strahd. Apparently he was just a bricklayer in a town. He went by the name Athanasius, but uh, then he became Count of Barovia. So there you go. Yep, there we go. It took years and years, but after people refusing to help him and refusing to help him and having to murder them every time, he loses his humanity bit by bit by bit. Big bads deserve good backstories, too. It's not just the heroes of the story. Well, I do have some optional questions that we can go over, or do you think we've covered it all? Uh, I would love to hear some optional questions. I like to go as in-depth as possible with backstories. Uh, So what are the goals and motivations of Athanasius? I mean, his ultimate goal is he would love like pie in the sky to become human again one day, but he probably doesn't believe until the adventurers come to town that there's any possibility of that happening. So he just wants to continue living a regular human life until it becomes so obvious to the people around him that he is not human. And probably at the point that our adventurers first find him, he's like, and then I'm going to go find some way to end my life because I don't want to be a monster. So that's probably what's driving him there. But you know, the love that he has for his family, the faith that he still has in this god, even though he's now become a creature that his god reviles. I think that those are the things that keep him going, keep driving him forward. I think that if he was a person who had nothing who had become a vampire, he would have very easily spiraled into being a creature of undeath. But instead, he has these things that keep him clinging to life. And so how do his goals and motivations affect his general personality? I think he outwardly is the same person, or at least tries to be, that he always has, but he has become probably much more serious at his core than he used to be. I think that he probably lived a life of, you know, a regular amount of hardship, what you get from growing up with not a lot, but enough to get by, where he's like, nothing truly terrible ever happened to me before this. And so he found it before much easier to joke and be lighthearted and And these days it is much harder for him. He really holds on with an iron fist to those couple of things that really matter to him. And it makes him much more serious. It makes him much more... I mean, we already said that determined was one of his personality traits. I think that that has been amplified in the past couple of years since he has been turned into a vampire. How does he normally interact with, say, family and friends versus, like, people he would consider a rival versus anyone else that he works with versus player characters in general? I think we've already gotten a peek into this, but just to note any differences in interaction. 
I think he's generally a very genial kind of guy. He likes to get along with everyone where he can. I think that, you know, he loves his family very much. He's very affectionate with his uh, nieces and nephews. He dotes on his mother. I think that he's mostly lives around people he's grown up with his entire life. So there's that deep sense of familiarity you get with, I know these people and they know me. So he, for the most part, is very comfortable around them. He feels the crushing weight of this secret that he can't share with them. I think that he's generally always been fairly welcoming of strangers. Strangers tend to bring money into a town. You know, people using the roads mean that his bricklaying business, he still gets to have a job because the roads get worn down. Someone needs to replace the bricks. So I think that generally he's very friendly, very open. He likes to see a new face. He's a guy who you could sit down next to him at a bar and have a conversation with even if you don't know him yet. Is there any particular accent or language that Athanasius uses? Are there any idiosyncrasies in the way that he acts and speaks? I think that he probably, as a result of being a vampire and having those slightly sharper teeth, has developed a much more careful way of speaking in the past couple of years. I think that he probably used to be a guy who spoke a little quickly, because I speak a little quickly, generally. So he probably used to speak a bit quicker. And then for the first couple of weeks after he became a vampire, he found that he was cutting his tongue on his teeth uh, when he was speaking as he normally would. So he slowed down his speech a bit in the past couple of years. He might have developed just the very slightest hint of a lisp. Very slightest. Uh, It's not something that you would notice necessarily at first glance, but the longer you talk to him, the more you hear it. Just because his teeth have grown visually, it's imperceptible. You can't really see, but I mean, I've had procedures done on, like, I've gotten surgery on my mouth, and the littlest, tiniest shift in your teeth can change the whole way that your mouth works. His two, you know, canine teeth, the sharp pointy ones, have grown ever so slightly. Like, you can't really tell by looking at him, but that has given him a very slight lisp and caused him to be a little bit more careful and deliberate with his words. So Athanasius, what impact has he made on the world? How has he shaped the local area? I mean, generally, he's kind of that guy that everyone knows. Like Everybody knows Athanasius. He's a nice guy, fun guy to play a hand of cards with. Uh, you can talk to him if you see him on the street corner. He's probably not as present in the town's social scene over the past couple of years. And I think that if you've lived in the town for that long, you've probably noticed that in the past couple of years, it's gotten a little less fun to go to the tavern at night. And you haven't necessarily made the connection that Athanasius doesn't come every night anymore. And if you did, it's like, oh, it's because he works the night shift now. He can't come to the tavern. He can't hang out with all of us. But, you know, I think that he used to bring a lot of joy to those around him. And even though it wasn't necessarily something that they noticed, and it's certainly not something that they really noticed that is missing, I think that that has kind of been his impact. Wow. I almost kind of get the sense of like George Bailey from him. Uh, you know, the, it's a wonderful life. Like Yes, yes. Except our George Bailey is a vampire who's trying not to be evil. <laughs> yes, precisely. I'm just imagining Jimmy Stewart going around being like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, now listen here. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be a simple bricklayer. I'm not trying to eat people. 
Maybe that's the voice. That's the voice that I couldn't quite think of. Okay, so Jimmy Stewart, but talking slow and deliberately, maybe with a slight beginning hint of a lisp so as not to show off his teeth all that much. Yes, precisely. Okay, perfect. And for the final half of that, how he's shaped his local area, obviously, I think we know what's the current problem that's preventing him from being a bigger player on the stage. Yeah, it is absolutely his vampirism. He prevents him from, you know, like any disease can, like any chronic illness, it prevents you from being the full person that you would like to be necessarily. I mean, I know that in real life, there are many chronic illnesses, which people can and do manage well and live very full lives. But this is definitely one that is, you know, it has changed him in such a way that he can no longer be the person that he was before becoming a vampire. And, you know, he's done what he can to change his life around that but he definitely misses the way his life used to be just want to take a moment to recognize another sponsor of the show reaper miniatures they have been texas titans of the tabletop industry since 1994 they're right here in my backyard and they have an amazing warehouse and game store they make everything from paints to gaming accessories stream on twitch with tutorials and interviews and host the reaper con this year back in person from September 2nd to 5th, 2021 in Denton, Texas. Whatever system you're running, whatever game you're playing, Reaper has a miniature that has you covered. Want to include Randolph in your game? Then might I suggest looking at their catalog for SKU number 77661. Perhaps you need a Lord Grubbub. Check out SKU 02646. Are you in the market for your very own Skink Knows the Lich? Look no further than SKU number 77280. You know, every time you shop with them and you spend at least $40 on your purchase, they will give you a cool new mini for free. And this miniature of the month is always something new. And if you're wondering how you can enjoy the benefits from my sponsor, if you visit my website, you can find a link for our sponsorship and use my referral code link when you shop to help support sidekicks and side quests and get you some savings by clicking that link on my website it helps to track the traffic that our show directs towards reaper miniatures the more traffic the more that our texas powers will be able to combine so again go check the link out on my website in order to use my special referral code and be sure to follow reaper miniatures on facebook twitter instagram twitch and youtube and be sure to sign up for ReaperCon 2021 and tell them that Sidekicks and SideQuests sent you. So thank you very much to this sponsor and back to the podcast. Just such a cool character. This this is a really great episode so far. This was so fun. Well, we're not done yet with the fun because we have to head into a random encounter. Let's do it. Okay. So as you've already guessed, this is the part of the show where we get to do a little bit of role play. Uh, We've covered all of the questions in depth. So we have a fully formed, actualized character. And I think it's only fitting that my guest, Harper, should bring a voice and a life to Athanasius. And I think based on how Athanasius is, I think it's fitting that he should meet Duncan, who is my chaotic, good fighter, adventurer. And if you're ready to begin with our DM power, combined i think we can make a truly awesome little vignette all right i can't guarantee that my george bailey voice will be as good as yours but i will try my best 
So after Duncan has finished his last adventure, helping out a certain halfling courier uh, deliver some mail and just finding out the whole concept of a postal system uh, being revolutionary, uh, Duncan continues off down the road saying bye uh, to his new friend, Esther Van Missive, and he heads down to the next town. And, you know, Duncan is fairly used to traveling along dirt and muddy roads. But as he starts heading into the next town, he can see that there are these intricately and ornately laid bricks and uh by this point it's starting to be dusk it's starting to you know that evening glow of the night and as he's you know starting to get further and further into town he can see that there is a gentleman with a cart um with a whole load of bricks that seems to be heading in the opposite direction and something about him just causes duncan to kind of stop and pay attention to this person heading in the opposite direction well uh good evening there what what might your name be oh Oh, hello there. Uh, my name is Duncan, and I'm an adventurer that travels around these lands. No task too small, no errand too minuscule for me, I say. Uh, well, good evening, Duncan, and welcome welcome to our town. My name is... My name is... Uh, Athanasius. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. And, uh, Duncan will extend his hand and shake it and say, Well met, good sir. Athanasius, that is quite the name. Uh, whew. Well, I have, uh, I've just finished traveling, and as I was making my way into town, I couldn't help but note, uh, these very finely laid bricks. And he'll take a look at the cart and see that there's, you know, some fair number of bricks in there, too. And may I to understand that you are the gentleman that made and lays these bricks? Uh, well, yes. In fact, I am one of many of the bricklayers in this town. It is one of our town's most proud features. It, in fact, is our town's only proud feature, really. Uh, but yes, I am one of the bricklayers of this fine town. Well, I do have to say it is remarkable work. Uh, I had not made my way to this part of the of the world yet. And um and Duncan will roll a uh insight check. He's trying to gauge like how Athanasius is acting and doing and Duncan will say after rolling his fairly high check, he'll say, um, well, I mean, I was going to head to the tavern to, you know, get some rest, but it seems like you're in need of something. And like I said, I, I cannot refuse any task put before me. So is there something that I can do to help you out? It, it seems like you're, something's weighing you down. Mighty, mighty something's weighing you down. Uh, you're a, you're a perceptive one, I can tell. As a, as a matter of fact, not uh, too long ago, only last night, I was playing a game of cards with one of my uh, companions in the Bricklayer's uh, company, and I unfortunately lost this hand, and the bet, the wager that we made was that one of us, the loser, would go to the uh, royal palace that is a two-journey's day away and pick a flower uh, and come back and return home with it. And uh, I lost my hand, and unfortunately there's... You know, I work every night and there's just not a lot of time in the day for me to journey all the way to the royal palace and back. So I've been trying to think of some way that I could make the trip. Oh, okay. So the royal palace is a two days journey and you need someone to just get you a flower from there. That's the size of it. Hmm. Well, would you say that the royals would be in need of an adventurer and his services, do you think? 
Almost certainly. I think that they're always looking for someone to help out around uh, with various tasks. Our town has been very quiet lately in the surrounding lands, but I know that other towns haven't been so lucky. Hmm. Okay. I'll tell you what. I will go rest in the tavern this evening and collect my strength and I will go to the Royal Gardens and uh, while I'm there to hopefully make an audience with them there, I will retrieve a flower and uh, bring it back post haste. Oh, well, thank you very much. That is very kind of you. Ah, well, it's it's nothing. Uh, where shall I leave it uh, when I come back to town in case I miss you if I don't come back at night or say? Uh, well, you can always leave it at the with the barkeep in the tavern. He's an old friend of mine. Or really, uh, anyone that you find on the street could point out my house to you and you can always just come and leave it at the door. All right. Sounds very fine. Well, it was nice to make your acquaintance, Athanasius, and uh, suppose I need to go head on down and rest my weary, weary feet in front of a roaring fire. All right. Well, thank you, Duncan. I can tell that you are a... If, I, if you come back, I can tell that you are a man of great honor and... I hope to see you again if you manage to do this task for me. Indeed, good sir. Ta-ta! And then Duncan will continue to walk into town, and as he's, you know, looking at the ground and kind of eyeing each brick and just kind of like, like, hmm, yeah, yeah, they are really are good bricks. And scene. <laughs> All right, well... Cool. So what did you think of our little role play there? Do you think it was able to give Athanasius uh, some justice? I think so. I think that definitely was fun to try to give him a voice. I still think my George Bailey impression leaves a little bit to be desired, but that was very fun. I really do role playing is one of my favorite parts of playing D&D. Well, as we're starting to head into our final thoughts of the show, uh, what did you think of your experience today? I know we had some tech issues going back and forth and everything like that, but we made something happen today. So what did you think of your experience overall today? Oh, I have had so much fun. Making characters uh, is one of my favorite things to do. And, you know, bringing in that little bit of chaos and making a backstory, like, it really did, I feel, evolve into something really much bigger for the character than I would have imagined. That's always the way that it is when making one of these characters, and it always brings me such joy to bring this new person into being. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think it's just great to be able to put a resource out there for everyone who's searching for that someone special to sprinkle into your game world or into your character backstory, just so you're not having to deal with NPC number 502. You know, you actually have someone that has a little bit of spice to them. Yes. I've DM'd for a long time and I've played for a long time. And I can honestly say that the richer the world, the more invested you get. And especially at tables where I've had players who didn't want to role play so much, I found the way to encourage it was just to bring in more wild and more detail into my NPCs. And it really draws out even the shyest of players when you bring someone in that they can't help but want to talk to. Do you think Athanasius will make an appearance in any of your games? 
I certainly hope so. I will drop a line to my current uh, dungeon master and let him know about this, you know, truly good at heart vampire. Or maybe I'll even write my own one shot where he's the star of the show. Awesome. We like to hear that. And certainly if anyone decides to use Athanasius in their game, be sure to let us know on our Twitters and subreddits and Facebooks. You know, all the places... And speaking of, I like to always give the platform over to my guests. So if you've got anything to plug, where can people find you on the internet, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada. I give that to you. Uh, certainly. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, my name is Harper. I am a co-host of Chaotic Creations. It's another uh, character creation podcast, and we're very excited to have Kurt come on to our show soon to make a character the way that we do. So you can find us on any podcast listening service, and you can follow us on Twitter at Chaotic Pod. Uh, you can also follow me personally on Twitter. My uh, handle is at Harpersona Games. That's H-A-R-P-E-R-S-O-N-A Games. I post a lot about Dungeons and Dragons and TTRPG, but there's also some random thoughts about life and video games and books thrown in there. So you can follow me there as well. Perfect. Awesome. I think, as they would say in the movies, this is the start of a beautiful friendship. I certainly hope so. All right. Well, we're looking forward to having you back on Sidekicks and Sidequests in the future. And uh, I can't wait to make my appearance on your show. And uh, let's just help to build up the uh, character creation D&D podcast network, as it were. Yes, absolutely. We got to stick together. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast. or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, sidekicksandsidequests.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for SideKQ Podcast. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bod, send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes to help spread the word and share our show with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. Sidekicks and Sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast, copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four! Sidekicks and Sidequests